Well, let's hear from God's Word, Psalm 48. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled. They came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen. In the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Amen. Well, I'm sure most of you listening are familiar with the label, the world's most livable city. Uh, there's a few versions of this, but one group called uh, the Economist Intelligence Unit, uh, the EIU, as they're known, uh, they publish an annual global livability ranking uh, in which they rank 140 cities for their urban uh, quality of life. And so this is based on things like the city's stability, uh, their healthcare, culture, environment, um, education, uh, and infrastructure. And Melbourne has actually done very well in this um, ranking. Uh, they've been ranked uh, by the EIU um, seven times as the world's most livable city. Uh, from 2011 all the way to 2017, they've held that title of the world's most livable city. Uh, lately, we haven't done as well. Uh, this year, we uh, ranked equal eighth with Geneva. Um, but overall, Australia actually does very well in this. Uh, in these rankings. Um, this year, Adelaide got third, uh, Perth sixth, Brisbane 10th, and then with Melbourne 8th. And the most livable city of 2021 goes to um, Auckland in New Zealand uh, with Osaka in Japan coming in at second place. And just so you know where not to move to, uh, the least livable city out of the 140 um, assessed in 2021 goes to the Syrian capital, um, Damascus. Well, here in Psalm 48, we, we have a celebration of a city, and it's a city that's far more wonderful, far more glorious, far more livable uh, than any other city. It's a city that's so wonderful, it actually breaks the EIU categories because it contains elements that no city has, no other city has. And this psalm invites us to admire and, and to marvel at what makes this city so glorious. Uh, in fact, it ends by telling us to essentially take a tour, go around, have a look, and marvel at all of the attractions of this incredible city, and, and then go and tell others just how wonderful it is. And so we're going to do that today. We're going to take a guided tour 
through Psalm 48, we're going to explore this city and, and find out why it is uh, so spectacular, what makes it uh, the world's greatest city to be a part of. And as we do that, we'll see that there are three, uh, three qualities that make this the world's most livable city. So first of all, uh, the first quality we see in verses 1 to 3 is that this is a city of unrivaled beauty, a city of beauty. So verse 2, you can see there it says, uh, of this city that's beautiful in elevation is the joy of all the earth. Now, when this psalm was written, this was a poetic description of the city of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was a fortified city built up on top of a small mountain. Uh, it would have been um, quite impressive to look at. Uh, but what makes this city so beautiful is not its elevation or uh, its location or its architecture or how clean the streets are. What makes this city so beautiful is the fact that God is there. And that's what verse 1 states. Verse 1 states for us the theme of this psalm. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. Uh, verse 2 says, because God is there, it is the city of the great king. And this fact was represented very clearly um, where at the highest point in Jerusalem, on the far north end, uh, was the temple. And uh, that's what it means in verse 2 where it says uh, Mount Zion in the far north. And so the temple was like the palace of a king, the king of kings, because enthroned in the holy of holies was the Lord himself. And so this is what makes this city so beautiful, that God is there. And that's why this psalm praises the Lord, whose city it is, rather than the city itself. Now, I guess in some ways, this uh, is, is probably like how people would, who live in London would think of what makes London so special. Uh, it's because it's a royal city. So Buckingham Palace, it's a fairly fancy um, building. Um, but the reason it has such attraction is because of who lives there. And so imagine if you went to London and you went to um, visit uh, Buckingham Palace, I'm sure your experience of that place would be so much more enhanced if when you arrived, you saw that little flag flying in the wind, letting you know that the Queen is inside right at that moment. Um, you know, even if you didn't get to go in and meet the Queen herself, just knowing that she is inside while you're looking at that building, even if you're standing outside the gate, just knowing she's in there would make it so much more special. Well, imagine being in the city of the great king, the king of kings. Imagine being in the city where God himself is present. See, that's what makes this city so beautiful. God is there. Now, just a quick note on God's presence in the city. Uh, in Scripture, God has revealed himself as omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at all times. Uh, children, if you're listening, remember the um, catechism question. Where is God? God is everywhere. Uh, that's what we learn all through the Bible. And the Israelites knew that. That's why when Solomon dedicated the temple, uh, he acknowledged that even the whole expanse of the universe could not contain the Lord how much less this temple. And so when the Bible talks about uh, God's presence in the Holy of Holies, in the city of Jerusalem, in the temple there, uh, it's a statement about God's relational presence. 
his relational presence. See, the temple in the city communicated that sense of nearness to God because of his covenant uh, with his people. And so it was about communion with the Lord Almighty. And that's what made this city, it's what made citizenship in this city the joy of all the earth because it meant to belong to the King of Kings. And to belong to the King of Kings in this city, uh, it meant an incredible sense of security and peace and stability and safety. Uh, verse 3 says, Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. And so that's the beauty of this city. It shines with the presence of God. Well, the second thing we see here that makes this the world's most livable city is that it's a city of strength. A city of strength. And that's in verses 4 to 8. So here the psalm celebrates God's power in protecting the city. Uh, verse 4 speaks of an alliance of kings gathering together, coming against the city of God. And then in verse 5, it says that as soon as they saw the city, they were astounded. Uh, they go into meltdown. They run for their lives. Uh, the, the fear that grips them when they see the city, it's so uh, agonizing that it's actually compared to uh, the anguish as of a woman in labor. And the whole experience of the, these enemies what happens to them is likened uh, to ships being destroyed by a storm. So in verse 7, it says, By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. Now you have to remember that this is poetry. Uh, so this, it's creating word pictures uh, for our minds to think about. And uh, so, you know, you think about, imagine a, a, an enormous hurricane sweeping across the ocean. And as it moves along, it sweeps up every single ship and just takes them and smashes them into the far coast. Uh, that's how it will be for those who attack God's city. In fact, verse 8 sounds like this psalm was written out of an experience of seeing that actually happen. Uh, because in verse 8 it says, As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. So it sounds like everything that verse 4 to 8 is talking about was actually something that the people witnessed uh, from the city. And there's actually, there's at least four events that this could be talking about. Uh, so it could be talking about um, an attack um, when Jehoshaphat was king or King Asa or King Ahaz or King Hezekiah. Could be any of those situations. In fact, it might be a celebration of all of them together. Uh, but many commentators do think that the one that it's most likely referring to is the attack on Jerusalem uh, by the king of Assyria in 701 BC uh, when King Hezekiah was uh, ruling. Uh, so it's recorded in 2 Kings chapter 18. And there we learn about how the Assyrians came and, and uh, invaded Judah, took out all the surrounding fortified hills, and then they attacked Jerusalem and put it under siege. And King Hezekiah and all the people of Jerusalem were all locked up in that city in great distress. Uh, in 2 Kings 19, we, we hear the um, prayer of desperation by King Hezekiah as he pours out his, his needs to the Lord. And the Lord sends the prophet Isaiah to um, speak a word of assurance to King Hezekiah. And then, after all of that, we read these words in 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 35 and 36. It says, And that night 
the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived in Nineveh. Now that must have been an extraordinary scene to witness. Imagine seeing all of those bodies. I don't know what they would have done with them all. 185,000. But imagine the sense of relief that the people would have felt to see God so powerfully work to defend his city, to defend his people. You know, they had heard of God's great deliverances in the past, but now they have seen. As verse 8 says, As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts. And this generates great confidence uh, in the eternal security of God's city. As the rest of verse 8 says, in the city of our God, uh, which God will establish forever. So this is the city of beauty. It's the city of strength because God is there. God is present. Now, the third reason why this is the greatest city in the world, we're told in verses 9 to 11 that this is the city of steadfast love. The city of steadfast love. And in, the, in verses 9 to 11, we're now taken to the very heart of the city, the focal point in the temple. And in the temple, what do you do? You, you be quiet. You meditate on what you see there. See verse 9? We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. See, when you take this tour and you get to the temple, this is where you really want to slow down and take your time. Take in everything that's going on around you because this is where you encounter God's love, God's steadfast love. This is the one place in the whole earth where you can witness God's steadfast love. This is where it's on display because in the temple, God had made a way to maintain his righteousness while at the same time forgiving sinners and reconciling them to live in fellowship with him. Uh, that, was so, that was what was so incredible about what happened in the temple. And the way God did that was through the sacrificial system. So if you were on that tour and you um, went outside and stopped an Israelite on the street and said, uh, how do you know the God of Israel is a God of love? That Israelite would just point you to the temple and say, go have a look. That's how you know. Uh, in fact, it's just like that today. You know, how do we know God is a God of love? Well, we point to the fulfillment of all that the temple stood for. Uh, this is how God showed his love among us, says the Apostle John. He sent his one and only son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And so that's what makes this city the city of steadfast love, because right at the center, we see God's love for sinners in that he would provide a sacrifice to pay for their sin. So it's a city of steadfast love. And so if we just sum up this tour of this city, uh, the world's most livable city, we see that it's a place of beauty. It's a place of strength because God was there. And to belong to this city, to be a citizen of this city, means to belong to the Lord. Uh, it means to know his steadfast love, which was most clearly displayed in the temple. But the big question from this is how does all of this speak to us today? Now, it's all very nice um, listening to this picture of, a, of the city, but 
what does it have to do with us today? How does it speak to us? How does this help us today? How does this celebration of a city of God actually make any difference to our lives today? And the answer to that question is that this city points us to something that we are part of today through faith in Jesus. We started looking at this last week when we were in Psalm 46. Uh, we saw how the historical city of Jerusalem um, pointed people, even back then, beyond the bricks and mortar, beyond the city to the eternal city that it pointed to, the eternal city that God uh, would establish. And again, there's indications in this psalm that that's what's going on here. And so you see that in verse 2 where it says this city is the, the joy of all the earth. Now, Jerusalem back then was never the joy of all the earth. In fact, on a number of occasions, it was the laughing stock of all the earth when it was completely destroyed. Uh, and it was confined to one location. So it was never the joy of all the earth back then. And verse 8, as we saw, it points to the eternal nature of the city. That's what people hoped in, that this city would be established forever. And so there's a sense in which the city of Jerusalem kind of functioned like the sacrifices uh, in the temple. Those sacrifices always pointed to something greater to come, the fulfillment that would come in the future in the Lord Jesus. And there's a sense in which the city functions in the same way. Uh, the book of Hebrews tells us that many of the aspects of the um, Old Testament were, as it says in chapter 10, verse 1, a shadow of the good things that are coming. So what is the reality to which the city of Jerusalem pointed then? Well, we don't have to guess because we're actually told in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 to 24, uh, we're speaking to Christians uh, as they assemble for church. It says, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, there's a lot in that, but the main thing I want you to see is that through faith in Jesus, believers have already come into Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Notice it doesn't say that you will come to Zion, but that you have come, but you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So right now, through Jesus, the mediator, through his sprinkled blood, we are in God's city. We are in God's presence right now. And as this passage tells us, this heavenly Jerusalem includes people from both in heaven now and on earth, right at this minute. Together, we're the city of, of God. Uh, one day, heaven and earth will meet. Revelation 21 verse 2 tells us that at the end of time, the heavenly Jerusalem will come down from heaven and become the whole earth. But until then, the place where God dwells, his holy city can be found on earth right now, wherever believers in Christ gather together. And so another way of saying this is that the church is the city of God right now. 
And you can see this right throughout the New Testament. Another place, um, an example is uh, the passage we read at the start in Ephesians chapter 2. So verse 22, in him, in Christ, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So for God's people today to experience the beauty, the strength and the steadfast love of God, you don't have to travel to the Middle East to go to the city of Jerusalem. And that's actually a good thing, as um, commentator uh, Christopher Ash likes to point out, uh, because he says if that was the case, then that would make Christianity an elitist religion. Only those who could afford to travel to Jerusalem could enjoy these things. But see, Jerusalem in the Middle East, it doesn't have the significance that it once had before. Uh, now the place where God dwells on earth, the city of God, are the gathered people uh, those people gathered in Christ, the church. Now, if I told you at the start of this sermon that the world's most livable city is the church, that probably wouldn't have made much sense. But now that we've looked at the city of God and we've, we've seen how the New Testament equates that with the church, now it makes sense. It's the church. That's where you find God dwelling with his people. And that means that this psalm does speak very powerfully to us today. It means the city of beauty and the city of strength, the city of steadfast love is something that believers are together when gathered in Christ. We are these things. And that means that we can now apply these aspects of the city to us as a church. For example, what does it mean that the church is the city of beauty? Well, it means that the church is the community where God dwells with his people. And so for the church to then be the city of beauty means to be a community that radiates uh, with God's character. You know, a community of truth, justice, uh, holiness, compassion, a community of grace where members are valued, not because of how rich or successful or how good looking they are, but because of who they are in Christ. It's who we are in Christ that should unite us together. It should be a place that's not divided but rather united, where there's no infighting or cliques. Uh, since the church is a city of beauty, um, then there's no place for corruption or scandals or abuse. Integrity must be the norm. The truth must be spoken and lived. And so there should be something incredibly attractive about the community of believers, something that even draws unbelievers in. You know, they can tell that there's something about this community. What is it? God is there. That's the difference. And therefore, it's the church that is the joy of all the earth. You know, Jerusalem in the Old Testament never did draw in the nations. But the church of Jesus does. As we live out the gospel, as we tell the gospel to the world, that's what draws in uh, the nations. And so how are we going as a church? Are we living out this reality that we are in Christ, the city of beauty? And what part can you play to, to, to do that, to, be, to make our church beautiful? See, the church is the city of beauty. Well, what about the next one? What does it mean that the church is the city of strength? It means that the church cannot be destroyed. Christ's church throughout the earth cannot be destroyed. The church is, as verse 8 says, the city of God, which God will establish forever. Now, that's just like Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, that doesn't mean the church won't be attacked. 
the city in the psalm had to go through attacks and look to God to defend them. And so the church must do that today. Throughout the world, Christ's church is persecuted. And it looks like that persecution will eventually uh, come to our part of the world. But this psalm reminds us that even if that should happen, even if we should come under fierce persecution, God's people, his church, his city, yes, will go through the fiery trials. And yes, we'll have to cry out to God like King Hezekiah did. But no matter how hard the opposition, no matter how great the opposition, we have this assurance that the church is the city of God, which God will establish forever. You know, Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress, it captures this so well. I think it's the second verse. It says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. See, it's the city of strength. The church is the city of strength. Well, what does it mean then that the church is the city of steadfast love? Well, remember how God's love towards sinners uh, was at the very heart of all that that city stood for in the temple. It's actually the same for the church today. We are a people who are brought together and held together by the love of Christ. See, Christ's sacrifice for us to pay for our sin. That's what makes us God's people. That's at the very heart of who we are. And, and that's what gives us our life as a church and our purpose and our impact in the world. Um, you know, the love of God displayed in the cross of Jesus is at the center of all that we do and all that we are. This is our, our message to, have, to tell the world. This is what makes it the joy of all the earth. And we must never forget that, that the gospel is at the heart of all that we are as a church. That's what makes us the city of steadfast love. And that means when we come to this last section in the psalm, uh, verses 12 to 14, <clears throat> we see here that this is actually a call for us to meditate on all the things that Christ has given his people to make us the city that shines with his presence. Uh, so walk about Zion, go around her. Remember at the start I said that this is a, a, um, a call to take a guided tour. Go throughout the city, take the tour, get on the bus, stop off, look at all of the great attractions, marvel at what is before you. But for us, that means marvel at what Christ has done for you. Take a look around, uh, walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go throughout her citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever, and he will guide us forever. See, doesn't that encourage you? Doesn't that give you great hope for Christ's church in the world? See, who would have thought that the world's most livable city is actually the church, the city of beauty, the city of strength, the city of steadfast love. Why? Because it's the city of the great King. Jesus is here. See, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. Amen.